Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. All right, all right, all right. Before we get started today, we just wanted to say welcome to the club. Footwork.club is now live, the official footwork website where you can find all the footwork content, including some new features. That's right. Along with our podcasts and guests, you can find exclusive written articles, including blogs about our own stories, free products that can help with chasing the dream, as well as our first official merch. All that and more. So join the club. All right, Aiden Curran, welcome to Footwork. Thanks very much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. We, uh, we, we did our own little podcast on yours about, I guess, middle of October, a few months ago. Uh, but excited to get you on and tell your story. So let's start off, uh, give the listeners a bit of a background of who you are, where you're from and what you're doing now. Yeah, of course. So uh, I grew up in Ireland, um, started playing football, soccer at the age of eight or nine, um, just progressed up through the system there a little bit. Um, Played with country clubs mainly, so never played with any of the big city clubs, anything like that. Um, it was probably until I was 18, 19 that I got somewhat of a break just with uh, in the college system in Ireland, uh, just with a college called UCD. Um, so I started playing with them initially, um, which is a unique system uh, whereby the college team actually plays in the domestic league. And I think there's only situations like two situations like that in Europe. So it was quite a good uh, system to get into a good pathway to progress up to. So um, played with them for two or three years, um, had a great experience, really, really enjoyed it, uh, learned a lot. You know, the, the formal coaching was the first time that I'd actually kind of done proper drills, you know, passing sequences, stuff like that, more the tactical side of it. So that was a good eye opener for me to do that. And uh, from there, um, went to the States, uh, did a master's on a, a soccer scholarship in the States at the University of Finley in Ohio. Uh, so that was a really, really good experience. It was something that I've always wanted to do since I was about 16 or 17, when the realization came that I wasn't going to go to England straight away uh, to, to play professionally like a lot of the players that I played with did. They were going for trials when they were 16, 17, things like that. But for me, definitely more of a late developer. So it wasn't really on the cards at the time. So that's why I looked towards the US, the college system, the chance to play full time. Um, so yeah, that happened um, a little bit later on as a master's student. So I was 21 when I left. Um, so spent a year and a half, so two seasons uh, at the University of Finlay. Uh, did okay, enjoyed it. Um, it was a unique experience, just it was a very small college. Um, the football and coaching was different to what I was used to, um, but like I said, got, got everything that I could from it. And from there, went to, so went to Germany after that because I had previously uh, had a trial in Germany before I went to the States. So before going to the States, it was a choice between uh, the States or Germany. So um, ended up getting a good scholarship to the state, so it was pretty hard to turn down at the time. So I ended up doing that, but Germany was always in the back of my mind. So ended up going there and uh, played in the sixth division. Uh, stayed about six months or so. Um, initially, I did struggle, and like, I can be quite open about that. It was it was quite a tough uh, quite a tough time in terms of a very small little German town. Uh, nobody spoke English. The club itself was it was an excellent club. It was uh, SG Kinzenbach, so. Um, a great club really really enjoyed it and like the coaches were excellent the players were welcoming everything like that but I think just the off the pitch stuff in terms of like where I was living struggling with the language the small town things like that I was just really struggling that way so I ended up leaving after six months went back to Ireland um, 
got a job, started playing in the Irish leagues again. Um, and then a couple of years later, went to the UK, uh, to Edinburgh. Uh, my now wife, she moved there to, to do her master's. She's American. We met in, in America and then she moved to Edinburgh uh, to do her master's. So I joined her there, played a little bit there, worked there. Um, and now I find myself back in back in the States. I've been here a year. Um, so I've gone into coaching now, uh, kind of one-on-one coaching and small group, that type of stuff. So still playing as well, um, you know, still trying to play. And I think I will always try to play at the highest level that I can, whatever that is. I'm currently training with an NPSL side just to get my fitness back after a hip surgery. I had that last May. Uh, so it's been a long road to come back from that. But again, just trying to enjoy it, get my fitness back, get my touch back and just try and progress as high as I can in the game while also doing the coaching. Really, really enjoying that. So I'm um, just kind of taking it day by day by day and see where it takes me, really. Mm, love that. Before we uh, dissect, there's so many things I know. I saw Sean yeah. smiling up there. There's so many things I think we can dissect in there. But we always start with uh, the make your own path question. I'm sure maybe you might have heard on the Jaden Merritt show. We talked a little bit off air, but, um, you know, essentially it means it's, you're making your own path. You're following your dreams. You're not held to a normal route. Uh, for sure, you weren't held to a normal route with the amount of places you've been, opportunities you've, you know, reached for. So what does that mean to you? What does making your own path mean to you? I think pretty much just what you said, really. It's, uh, you know, going against the norm a little bit. I think that's the main thing. I think now and as you get older I think society dictates what you're going to do really Um, whereas I think as a younger child that you always kind of know what you want to do but then as you grow up that seems less possible as you go on Mm -hmm. and the easier option is to get a job get a nine-to-five secure money secure income you know being being in a place that you're comfortable where sometimes I think if you just have that little bit of courage just to get outside your comfort zone I think opportunities will open up for you um, that you won't even realize. So I guess like following your own path is just, you know, doing what you want to do as long as it's not harming anyone as well. I think that's the main thing. Like for me, everything that I do, it's not, it's not doing any harm to anyone for me pursuing football at this age. I mean, it's not like I'm not, I don't have an income. I don't have anything like that. So I'm still like doing what I want to do, but also taking care of the responsibilities that I have Mm. and kind of stepping aside from those society influences where oh at this age you should be doing this this or this you know everyone has their own journey and everyone progressed at different times um, so i think that's that's really the main thing yeah now you your your story that you just you uh kind of gave us the insight into your your life in the past 10 years or so the initial jump to the u.s um how was it adapting to a new country and new culture outside of europe um you know, jump, making the jump over the pond, I, I would imagine, especially in Ohio, that there's definitely some cultural differences. Um, yeah, please, please tell me about that, because I think, like you said, it's it's you're doing what you love, but you're not harming anyone. But it's also kind of helps you you find out what you really love to do or, you know, we'll get to the Germany, uh, the Germany experience. But first, tell me about the U.S. and, and how that went. Yeah, the US, it was a big adjustment, very, very big adjustment when I first came here because when I first came here, I'd never been to the States before. Um, So like the first time I came here was obviously, I think for a lot of Europeans, when they think of the States, they think of like New York, California, everything like that, like the bright lights, big buildings. Um, But when you think of Ohio, uh, exactly. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. They don't think of those little towns in the Midwest. Uh, So when you 
in my case uh you know got there at like 2 a.m in the morning and you know there's meant to be a key left out of the place you're going to stay and it's not there and then you're like oh god what do i do now you know that's kind of like welcome to america and again for me i was like where where are the bus stops you know like where is the public transportation but again nothing you know what i mean so it was it was a tough it was an eye-opener for me when i got there but again you adapt and you know that's the thing you just need to adapt to whatever situation you're in and kind of make the best of the situation that you're in so although it's very different for me especially coming from going to college in dublin which is you know a very popular city you know as much as city as you think in terms of a city you know public transportation you know busy life everything like that and then you go to this kind of remote town in ohio and it's just completely different so it was a big jump it certainly was a big jump do you know how many people were in the the town or the city or even the college? What was like the numbers like? Do you know? Ooh, I think it was like two thousand in the college, and I'd come from oh, wow. a university yeah, of college. twenty thousand, mm-hmm. so yeah. it was a bit of a change. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm curious on, especially youth soccer in Ireland, because or more so just the the path. So, you know, I know in Germany there is sometimes it's kind of seen if you didn't make it by a certain age, then it's like it's time to pull the plug and get a real job, you know, quote unquote. So in Ireland, you know, you said you were, you were on the team with guys who were getting trials at 16, 17, 18. So how has it looked like there? If you don't make the big jump, is it kind of seen as like, okay, time to, you know, either play semi-professional and get a job or, you know, time to, to hang up the boots? Yeah, very much. So it's very similar to Germany and the UK. Um, like if you haven't, uh, you know, at least getting interest by the age of 16, 17, it's kind of expected that you, you know, go down a different route, that, you know, that it's kind of you're wasting your time trying to, you know, become a professional footballer if you're not at that early stage of gaining attention, really. So it's very similar to Germany and the UK. But I think in recent times that's changed because you've seen a lot of guys now going to the League of Ireland at the age of 18, 19, they stay there for maybe three, four years. And there's a lot of players now been picked up at the age of kind of 22, 23 uh, to teams in the UK and such. And a lot of players going to Europe as well. Um, what with kind of restrictions in the UK now as well with Brexit and whatnot, there's a lot of players opting now for mainland Europe as well. So, um, and I think that's for the best as well, because I think before it was very, very much like if you had to go to England and that was it, that was the only option. But as you two know, there's plenty of football to be played in mainland Europe as well. But I think Irish players were a bit reluctant to make that jump due to the language difficulties, the, the change in culture and things like that as well. And how was the how was the adjustment to football in the US? It was, I mean, the first thing for me was like the full-time aspect of it, like training every day, twice mm-hmm. a day. That was new to me because with my club team in Ireland, we were training twice a week with a game at the weekend. So that was a bit of a change. Um, but otherwise it was fine the technical level isn't as high um, as elsewhere it's very much like on on the team I was on there was a lot of players playing that if they were on a team in Europe they would not have seen next nor near the pitch you know what I mean it's that simple because of their technical level but because they were aggressive good in defending 1v1s exactly exactly just pure and other athletes did well in the fitness tests. But like if you ask them to ping a ball 40 yards, absolutely no chance. If you ask them to think outside the box in terms of like any sort of tactical element, no chance. 
but again they were the type of players that succeeded um and do succeed i think a lot of time in the college system which is fine i mean because they're out there giving 100 percent everything like that but i think in terms of get to the next level you do need to have a bit of a football iq which which is really really important yeah mm. definitely can you touch on the um the comparisons and style of play between college and ireland in general and then also kind of the things you saw um, differences in coaching, maybe, you know, coming into a college environment and seeing how uh, I'm not sure if your coach was American, but if he was how he ran it and how someone in Ireland might've ran things differently. Yeah. So my, my college coach, he was English, but had been in the States since like the 1970s or something. So very Americanized in that way. Um, But the coaching style is very, very different. I mean, it was a lot of practices um, were very tedious. Um, I got a lot of set pieces, a lot of just going over the same stuff over and over again. Not very different to the format that I was used to, whereby, you know, a standard session you might do, rondo at the start, passing sequence, maybe possession, some transitional rondos in some conditioned games, you know, 77 with seven on the outside, that sort of thing. Um, whereas this was just completely different. Never did passing sequences, never did rondos, nothing like that. So um, it was different and different to what I was used to. But again, you know, I got good. I got good at set pieces, you know, like you have to, um, if you're doing them like a hundred times a day, but, uh, but yeah, it was different and just positives and negatives from everything. Mm-hmm. And and you did uh, give it a shot in Germany. Um, I, I I want to know more details about this because uh, everything you said so far about the situation, I've heard uh, horror stories from people, including I mean Dylan has his own horror stories living in a closet when he first came here. So <laughs> yeah, I mean there's yeah. there's a ton. Yeah. So um, first off, how did you get to Germany? How did you get to this small town, and and then uh, go from there. Yeah, so like I said, I had that experience before college of uh, trialing at a Regionalliga team in, in Germany, um, and it was I did did well. And just a bit of background on that, just for anyone listening out there, you know, so often people wonder like how you get trials in places, but sometimes you just have to like go for it. So my particular situation was I'd made contact with an American guy who was already at the club, um, and just basically just to ask him what it was like, how he got the opportunity, and things like that, and just one thing led to another, and he was like, yeah, if you if you get here, um, I'll just speak to the coach and see if you can train. So why not? In my opinion, I just, I just went for it. So went yeah. on, I had a week's break from college. So just went to Germany, uh, trained with the under 23 side the night before. And then the next day just showed up to the stadium. He went into the office first, just to ask the coach that there was an Irish guy here from the Irish third division, which wasn't even in the Irish third division at the time. But um, he said, can, <laughs> can you train? Yeah, like it just yeah, so it's completely random and uh yeah, they were low on numbers that day. Um so yeah, he was like, Why not? I mean, if he's if he's here, just let him train or whatever. So mm-hmm. um yeah, so just basically went trained, did well, um, enjoyed it, um, got asked back for the afternoon session, so that was a positive. Um, because in those types of situations, you know, you're ready for just kind of like, yeah, good luck, don't come back, you know, which is fine, like that's football, that happens. Um, but yeah, went back for the afternoon session, did fine. Um, enjoyed it and I think just been getting that kind of uh, exposure to that level of play I was like maybe I'm not quite here now at the moment but I wasn't completely out of my depth so with like a year or two maybe in Oberliga, Landesliga that sort of thing 
that it might it might come to fruition so um but that time got the scholarship to, to the state so parked it for the moment but then it was always in my mind so got in contact with with the club in germany um it was a club that i'm not too sure if you're aware of it but there's a youtuber called matt sheldon he does become elite um mm-hmm. so yeah, of course yeah he's uh he was at that club, the same club as me, the season before. Um, so I'd kind of seen the club he was at. And obviously the the videos that he does, you can see a bit of an insight into what it's like. So I was like, why not? I'll just like message the club and see. So message them. Um, they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll just sign you kind of straight away. Because I think they had a good experience with him coming from the college system. So yeah, just ended up signing before before I went there. Um, I've so never well, heard of that, to be honest. No. Yeah, oh, it's completely random. So that's amazing. Yeah, just just end up and like I said, these things, it's uh, you know, won't happen for everyone, and it's very much like you know, you do have to trial usually first. But yeah, but shoot your shot. Fought. Exactly, and you know, the setup seemed good. Obviously, the town itself, like Eason, was looking online. I knew it was a small town, but I don't think I was completely prepared for what it was going to be like when I got there so um yeah I got there in in January as you know it's cold snowy everything like that in Germany at that time so it was a bit of a bit of a change and I think for me the adjustment was I was so used to in college always having people around like I lived with five English guys there was always stuff to always something happening and then I go to Germany I'm in this like tiny little apartment with like a mattress on the floor, as you know, all that sort of thing. Uh, barely any healing, no chairs. There was like one broken chair in the apartment. And, <laughs> you know, you just question things at that time. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I did it for a few months, but it just, the off the pitch stuff, it just got to me, started affecting me on the pitch. Um, and yeah, just decided to, to to cut my losses which is something that i do regret and I, I do have a lot of regrets about that time that i wish i just kind of persevered and then maybe tried to go to a bigger city where i could have got a part-time job that sort of thing because again that was an issue too money was running out i was finishing my degree online but again money is an issue because of the type of town that it was there weren't many jobs for english speakers compared to larger cities so it was a bit of a a bit of a, it was a tough time but again i regret you know, I regret nothing in that sense that I did it and tried it. Um, but I do regret, obviously, that it didn't turn out the way that I really wanted it to. Mm-hmm. So looking so looking back on it now, what are some lessons that you maybe would have given yourself to stick it out for that year or, you know, to pursue something else inside of Germany? I think patience is the key. Uh, for me, I just lack that patience because I'd come from, you know, that college system whereby you think you're better than you are just because you played like in my case d2 soccer and you get like a decent scholarship and you just think you're better than mm. you know the, these levels that you're going to where the guys are like smoking outside the dressing rooms beforehand even though they're absolutely quality players yeah. but at the same time they're still you know not the most professional in that sense so you just i suppose i got frustrated with the environment and things like that and i think if i just had that patience it would have you know, made a huge difference because for me, I put so much pressure on myself to do well at that level. And then at the end of the season, get a regionality contract and progress on. But if I just had that patience to, you know, really learn for like two, even three years in Germany at that Landesliga level, even up to Oberliga, and then you get your shot then at the Regionalliga. Once you build up those connections, once you settle into the culture, the country, everything like that, um, so yeah, I think patience would be the biggest lesson that I'd have. Like you don't have to, 
you know, succeed straight away. You do have to go through that period of learning and growing and kind of really settling into it. And whereas I think some people just want to progress from level to level to level. And if it doesn't happen within six months or a year, that's it done. And I think over time I've learned that patience now, but back then it certainly would have made a big difference. Mm -hmm. And what do you think are some, um, you know, like not coping skills, but ways to get a, get over that. Like you said, when you're in an apartment with a mattress on the floor and there's one broken chair, like you really start to ponder life and think about, think about what you're doing, but how can you get past that? Like, you know, everyone has their bad days, but then if you can kind of get over the hump, like the days are much brighter to come, you know, Um, what are some things you maybe could have given to yourself at that time to get over that? I think I did try it, but not enough. Um, Like some days you just don't even want to leave the apartment. You know, like some days are like that because you're in a foreign country. You don't, I had a decent grasp of the language, but I certainly wasn't fully comfortable in it. But if I had made an effort to, you know, just get out, get into the town, like even for me, just ordering like a coffee was a big deal. And like, Mm -hmm. that's something I had to like, almost like, you know, you build up to, you're like, Mm -hmm. not today's the day. I'm actually going to go in in German, (laughs) order a coffee and do it, you know, and stuff like that. But if you just continuously did that over time, I think that would have helped. But I think the Mm -hmm. worst thing you can do is like shut yourself off Mm -hmm. and, you know, just be in your own little world and not fully integrate into what's happening outside around you. So I feel if I'd done that, more often it would have made a huge difference yeah totally i mean i've i've encompassed the same exact things in germany it's like it's a it's a little bit of a debilitating fear i feel like where i'm a i was afraid that i would mess up or i'm afraid that there's going to be an uncomfortable situation when at the end of the day I guess the worst thing that's going to happen is the the person at the cash register is going to laugh or, you know, we might not understand each other for 30 seconds, but like at the end of the day, it's all good. But it comes back, I think, to that. It's a little bit of a fear of failure. Did you have that um, in terms of soccer related things as well? Yeah, huge, huge. Definitely did. Like, I mean, fear of failure is a is a major thing like for me i'd taken this chance to like go to germany and stuff and you know that's a big risk because i could have stayed in the states finished my degree everything like that or i could have gone back to ireland got a job you know played in that system there but i did something that's not so common i guess for especially for irish people irish players is to go to germany and do that sort of thing so i guess the fear of failure and what people would think did play on my mind and i think at that age you know you are immature you know, and you do care what people think. And again, I know you two boys mentioned on the podcast before, but like you're, you're Instagramming these things and like, oh, sign a contract here and there and everywhere. And, you know, you do it because you care what people think. And that's the bottom line of it. You know, you're not doing it for you. You're doing it to portray this image of yourself to others. And like now it's just completely different in my life. Now I don't even have a person in Instagram. I don't really care what people think, you know, I just do my own thing really. So I'm doing everything you know, for me and those in my close circle. And, and that's as simple as that. I don't really care about putting stuff online um, or anything like that. But back then, like, I mean, that's that's everything. Mm-hmm. And you're posting those things. And yeah, it's not. not oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we're I mean, I'm still guilty of it, too. It's like we we try and preach these things. But at the end of the day, I mean, there's still times when I slip up. I do things for the wrong reasons. I think we all do. But making the conscious effort to kind of have that conversation with yourself who am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? I'm not doing it for them. So you mentioned that, you know, you kind of shed that fear 
and that caring of what anyone else thinks and you're posting what you want and doing things in your inner circle. How freeing of a, of a feeling is that for you? And how did you get to that stage? Um, it's, it's like, it's hugely, hugely uh, liberating, to be honest. Uh, I think once you get to that point, I think it just becomes when you get that bit older, like I'm 28 years old now, but I think in terms of the experiences that I've had, like I've had, you know, like a lifetime of experiences sometimes in some senses. Um, like again, I'm married now as well. I got married two years ago. So that helped, you know, meeting my wife helped as well. Um, because you just kind of get to realize what's important and what's not. Mm-hmm. And again, even down to like, especially Irish and English people, there's big culture of like going out and drinking and everything like that. And it never was me, but certainly in college, I went through that phase, like in when I came to the States first, the house parties, everything like that. And that deep down, that's just not me. You know what I mean? That's not who I am. Like I barely, I barely drink now. I never have been a big drinker or anything like that, but some people are. And I think a lot of people fall into that trap of doing that because it's the thing to do. You work Monday to Friday, hate your life at the weekend. So you just like drink yourself to pieces. And like, that's not a good way to live at all. Like if you're wasting five days of five days the week doing something you don't enjoy, just so then you can forget about it all at the weekend. Like that's not a good way to be. So I think, yeah, just getting older was the main thing and just really realizing what was important and kind of just looking deep inside yourself as well. Like what, what you really want to do with your life. Because for me, while I was playing part-time, I was also working a nine to five Monday to Friday in a bank. And I was like, this is not for me. Like, this is not what I want to do long-term. So that's why when I came to the States, that's why, I started the coaching, doing the one-on-one coaching. And it's hard, like it's hard starting a new business and starting from scratch. But I was like, in the long term, this is going to be worth it. And I don't really care what image this portrays to people. Like I wasn't online. Oh, look at me doing great. Like doing one-on-one coaching, doing this, that, and the other. I, d- I just didn't really care. Like I was happy doing what I was doing. And that was, that was kind of the main thing. Mm. Now, before we get into your coaching, I want to come back to... Um you said you have you've had a lifetime of experiences and i still haven't found a way to put this into words and i think we've we may have even talked about it the first time but like when you when you're living in those apartments you know mattress on the floor broken chair not getting paid from the club and like you have time to think about just like ponder life basically you just daydream you find yourself daydreaming often when you don't want to go out and go to the cafe and order a coffee in german i feel like those moments and those the opportunities to be in those situations are so important because when you're working a nine to five and playing something pro after you don't have enough time to think about these things and i feel like you become a stronger person um through these through these tough times and they might seem ridiculous people you know you you post oh i'm a professional player but here i am in the sixth division and i'm not getting paid i'm in a crap apartment i don't have any money but it's, I feel like the earlier you get that out of the system, the better. And I think these types of experiences are brilliant for that. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. I think the earlier you can do it, the better. Um, because again, in terms of maturity, it does make you grow up and you truly learn kind of who you are and effectively who you want to be going forward as well. And that's easy even, even to tell with you two boys, even speaking to you, you can tell that like, you know what you want and you're doing what you want and you're going after and not really caring what outside influences think um, because it's not an easy thing to do um, because again it's not easy to live in a foreign country different language everything like that and you see people back home so for you two back in the states you see your friends like 
on good salaries, you know, and doing things like buying a car, getting a mortgage maybe for a house. And then you're like in, you know, just wondering like what the next day will bring. But I mean, for me, like that's, that's the excitement of life. Like that's the best thing. Like there's plenty of time for the rest of it. You know, you have so much time for mortgages and stuff. You know what I mean? You don't need to get a mortgage at the age of 27, 28, you know, there's plenty of time for that. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's really, uh, they're important. Those days are important and, you know, in the long term, they'll serve you very well. Do you feel like all those lessons kind of helped you to, um, maybe be a little bit stronger this time around when you're starting your business and doing the coaching and not really doesn't sound like you had that same fear of failure or care of what other people were thinking. Yeah, it def- definitely does. Like, I mean, it's, I think you make so many mistakes and I think it, it's okay to make mistakes, but as long as you learn from those mistakes, uh, that's the main thing. And I think for me, especially like starting the business and stuff, it was always, I think, you know, as long as you're making progress each day and as long as you're making progress each month and year, then like for me, even at the start when I wasn't making much progress, like financially, everything like that. But I'm thinking if I continue this rate of progress over the next like two, three, four, five years, then when I'm in my early thirties, mid thirties, like I'm going to be in such a good position mm-hmm. compared to if I just like given up just because it wasn't instant gratification straight away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a huge thing is the instant gratification model that is kind of placed on us. Well, I mean, it's so we're so surrounded by it from social media to anything really, just that instant gratification that something is going right. Whereas in your case, yeah, I mean it's it's kind of that that notion that you can't look so much at the end goal, but look more at the process, the day to day, breaking it down day by day to do it. So Let's go into 90 minute fitness then, because this thing has certainly, certainly blown up. It's, it's dope to see. We love the content, um, try and share it as much as we can when we're on Instagram, but how did that start? And then how did you bring those same kind of ideas? And then also that, you know, staying away from the social media model of instant gratification and doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, so with 90 Minutes Fitness, it started in 2018 was the first time that I like set up the Instagram page and things. And it was just really for me, it was more a platform to create like training sessions, mainly kind of physical workouts. So I thought that when I first started, it was mainly just for the physical side of it. So the gym work, the speed work, everything like that. And it was just with the idea that on a particular day, if you wanted to do, we'll say like a lower body session that you could just go to the page get an entire workout and just do it like that was the biggest problem for me i think growing up there just wasn't that information and there was a lot of like kind of bodybuilder type workouts where you did like triceps and biceps and like it's completely pointless for mm-hmm. for footballers so just something that was kind of specific to footballers and you know just providing that information that way and it kind of took off uh from there just because the workouts uh just you know they were being saved and shared and commented on and things like that so i think that you know, I knew I was kind of on a good track with that sort of thing. Um, so then like while I was working part-time, while I was playing and all that, I was still doing this as well on my off days. I'm just trying to build it as much as I could and did a bit of kind of like online coaching and stuff at the beginning um, from a physical point of view. But then once COVID happened, it really, the whole like online fitness scene exploded. Mm-hmm. And you could think that that was good for me, but it was actually 
not the best because then the the market became completely saturated so there was like so many people doing what i was doing previously um so it became quite difficult so but i still just maintained doing what i was doing being consistent and that was the thing as well just being consistent with the like the content and you know even if it was in my opinion even at the beginning like i used to get like two likes on a post but i didn't care really because like as long as you're putting it out there and if two people got benefit from it then you know mm. that's that's the main thing so I, I just kind of continued on that way and it it led to what it is now i suppose and since i came to the states then it developed into more like the in-person one-on-one and small group coaching um so i like post content from sessions that i'll do with players and things like that so so yeah it's grown slowly it's been four years now i guess um but again it was just step by step and just building it based on what i want to do with it and what kind of uh, direction i want to take it and kind of uh instilling my my values i guess on a lot of the players that i work with and just trying to think of it from my perspective of when i was that age and what i would have looked for and you know if i had someone like that to kind of guide me and, and help me train and in the correct way as such to, to get me to where i want to be so i try and think of it that way and i think that keeps me on the right path definitely did you always have this passion for coaching uh to, to be honest no i didn't uh, at all uh so when i was I think I kind of fell into the whole fitness thing when I was in like college in, in America because of the, you know, the heavy lifting culture and lifting for numbers and all that. I kind of fell into that a lot. So um, to be honest, I was more interested in the aesthetics of it um, at that point. But then just I realized that it just wasn't something I was truly, truly passionate about, that I really loved the game. And although the game itself because in college in america it kind of because of the, the coaching situation and stuff i did kind of fall out of love with the game a little bit um but then over time i just completely fell back in love with it and you know was watching you know football all the time analyzing things everything like that so then the passion for coaching came back because if you'd asked me that question like five years ago like, could i see myself coaching now the answer would be no but now i just like i literally love love coaching and i love the i love the one-on-one element of it just been directly able to impact the player in terms of technique and things like that the team coaching not so much at the moment for me it will be something that i will do later on once like playing is completely done just because of the conflict sometimes with the one-on-one stuff it's very flexible i can do it kind of around around my schedule and stuff so um but yeah coaching is definitely something that you know i know that i'm on the right path for and will continue to do going forward could you see yourself being a full-time coach after you think the playing career is is done, you know, taking over a team or a college or whatever it may be? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That will be the the aim eventually um, will be to get into a team environment, whether that be uh, in the States or Europe or wherever that might be. Um, but definitely that will be the, the end goal, definitely. And, and with that, um, we had a discussion off air, but you are doing your coaching license, but through the Scottish FA um what was the decision in that why first off why not the irish fa um and then why not the u.s so i think uh so first of all just with the scottish one i think just because i had a good experience playing in scotland and like i just enjoyed living there as a whole i think just they're looking from the outside in i think the quality of their education is quite good the way they actually the the content of the licenses themselves is quite good the the tutors that they have is are quite good as well so i think just from what i kind of 
I suppose, gathered. I just thought the Scottish FA one was of, of a higher level, which I don't know, is it? But it just, that was the option that I went to. And also when it comes to doing the UEFA B and things like that, they have more flexibility in terms of if, if you don't actually live in the country, you can still come and do the UEFA B, which is not the case with, with some countries. Um, so that was a big factor for me as well. If I'm still in the States, I can still go and do the UEFA B through the Scottish FA. So that was that was the big things for me as well. Um, and then in terms of the, the States, the reason that I didn't, um, I think we spoke about it as well, Sean, but like it's, quite expensive to do in the states um and again there's like a lot of different courses you need to do so you have like your 4v4 7v7 11v11 and like each one of them costs each one of them is time consuming whereas other countries you literally do like one course and that covers everything so like in england for example you do like an fa level one and it lasts i don't know how many weeks but like that's it's just fa level one whereas in the states it seems to be all broken down into smaller ones and you have to do each one and pay for each one um so that was just the reason i think that i went to scottish fa one um and not the 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 states um and it's not to say that i might not do it going forward i don't know but certainly for the moment i'm just going to continue with the scottish fa ones imagine only having a 4v4 license like that's that's all you had was just the 4v4 that's, that's all, all i can coach yeah uh can you coach 77 no 4v4 Sorry. is my yeah. that's that's, that's me. 4v4 is my thing. Yeah. <laughs> what are what are the, what do you need to to uh, be able to take the, the UEFA B course in Scotland? Is it like what is the sign up process like? What are the necessities for being able to uh, get into the course? Uh, so it's basically just you need to be coaching kind of regularly in a, a team environment. Um, obviously, you need to do the previous ones as well. So they've introduced kind of a UEFA C one as well, so which is kind of new. There's, I think in general, there's been a lot of changes in terms of the coaching licenses in a lot of countries across the world. I think, you know, they've been introducing different steps along the way. So, um, but yeah, that's the main thing. You just need to be coaching regularly and, you know, progress your way up through the licenses as well. So um, that's the main thing. I think if you play professionally, obviously that opens doors to go yeah. straight in at the UEFA B, um, which is why you see obviously a lot of professional players kind of buy, by passing those earlier ones, um, which isn't always a good thing, depending on the player themselves, because as you see in the in the world today, there's a lot of former players who go in high positions. For example, Frank Lampard, Frank Lampard at Chelsea went in there, didn't last very long because he just wasn't up to the task of managing. There's a big difference mm-hmm. between playing yeah. and coaching, and I think sometimes just because of the name that a player has when they play, it gets them into managerial positions that. As a coach, they're just not quite equipped uh, to deal with yet. So what are the biggest things that you need or, or do you, that you think are needed for a successful coach? And what things do you really try to instill into your lessons? So I think the most important thing is passion for it, enthusiasm. That's a given. That's a number one. Um, second of all is I think just a, you need to be a, you need to be able to create rapport with somebody. You need to be able to connect. I think that's a big thing. You can have all the knowledge in the world about football about tactics everything like that but if you can't actually connect with someone that's a huge barrier um as a coach so that's a big thing as well um just in for what i do i guess just that slight eye for detail as well um because before i kind of started this i never thought about like how someone passes a ball how somebody shoots a ball those small little things that make a difference such as the position that the plant foot angle of the hips everything like that but makes such a difference and I think when you step back 
and see why a player, for example, takes a bad shot. I think a lot of people don't like sit back and think, why did that shot go like out for a throwing, basically? But when you actually analyze their technique and where the planned foot was, where the hips were, then you realize why it happened. And I think if you can make those little changes, it makes a huge difference. Um, even though it's like passing, those little bobbles that you get if you play mm. a one-time one time pass. Before I started coaching, I never even thought about that. I was like, oh, it's just a bad pass. But then you realize that you hit the top of the ball instead of the middle of the ball. And if you focus on hitting the middle of the ball, then those passes will go straight and accurate every time. And that's something I try and pass on to the players as well, just those basics and focusing on those basics. Because a lot of people do those things, they go wrong and they don't actually think about why it happened. But if you can make those little, little fixes, and often they are just tiny, tiny little adjustments, but it makes a huge difference. I love to hear that you are focusing on those details because I've had a handful of coaches, especially as a, as a young player that would point these things out. Cause usually, like you said, it's just like, Oh, it's a bad pass. Like make sure the next one's cleaner. And then as a kid, you're like, well, okay. But when you have a coach that tells you, look, listen, you got to hit the middle of the ball or you got to strike the ball here. Your planner foot is too close to the ball, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it can really change uh, a player's playing technique and what ages are you focusing on right now with these one-on-ones uh so mainly it's kind of ages the youngest i have is six and the oldest is 18 um so okay that's kind of the age range at the moment really i find any younger than that for one-on-one it's hard from the focus for an hour mm-hmm. it could, because it's quite an intense environment one-on-one mm-hmm. um so i think any younger than that is it's hard for them to maintain the focus and obviously like i would like i'd be more than happy to, to work with players over the age of 18 but i find once they get into the college system or into the professional level they have so much guidance around them sometimes and like financial restrictions and things like that that the one-on-one coaching doesn't become you know feasible or priority for them at that point which is understandable um so it's kind of like ages 18 and, and under to be honest mm. and speaking <laughs> on that detail to piggyback off both of you guys can you watch games the same anymore now that you started coaching and kind of taking all these things in are you constantly evaluating all these plays in a game like oh he didn't pass it this way or should have done this or things like that oh i'm a nightmare to watch a game honestly because (laughs) i I just like that's why i can never go to like bars or pubs to watch a game because i can't i have to focus uh Mm -hmm. so like if if somebody's there interrupting me i just get i get completely annoyed with it that's why even my wife and stuff she just knows now just to like leave me at it for 90 minutes because there's there's no point talking to me at that point because i'm just going to distance exactly exactly (laughs) exactly we're just completely absorbed in it so um there's there's you know like you said just like analyzing everything i'm sure you do the same but it's just like looking at all those little details and you know thinking about like what tactics they're playing everything Mm -hmm. like that and yeah so um completely absorbed yeah it's it's changed for me the same just over the years it's just things that i recognize and tactically sean and i have conversations after games sometimes just talking about how this team does this and how our team could do this. It's, I mean, I'm sure there's a future for us somewhere in coaching, Sean, but I saw on your Instagram quite recently, there was a post about, um, I think it was specifically uh, youth athletes watching games and the importance of this. Can you go into some of the things that they should do and just how important it is to watch games? I think you said once or twice weekly was your recommendation. Yeah. Um, oh, you've opened up a can of worms with that one, Dylan. You might not get me off for the next two hours, I think. But, Let's go. Uh, oh, that's great. 
Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's just a big problem. I've noticed it in the states, like because uh, when I work one on one with players, you know that initial session, you're trying to find out about them as a person, their sporting background, everything like that. And you know, one of the big questions I ask is, you know, like, do you have a favorite team or do you watch much soccer? It's the case here, um, and always the answer. I think I've had maybe one or two kids, but for the most part, it's like, no, I don't watch anything. I don't know any soccer teams at all. I've no knowledge of anything. And to me, that's so that's so unusual for me. Like growing up in Ireland, you were like fully absorbed in like the English Premier League. You were watching every week. You, you were collecting your like sticker books where you get like different players and putting them into the teams. Every, like everything was soccer. Everything was football. So for me, with these kids growing up and like they have no knowledge of the game at all outside of what they play with their club or schools, it's just so unusual. So like I just try to encourage them to watch as much as possible because unless you actually see like top professionals do it, how can you ever expect to to learn? So like again, for me when I was growing up, you'd you'd watch it on TV and you'd see a player do a certain skill and then you'd go out and try it yourself and like that's how you learn like that's how you develop and for me with these kids when they're not actually watching soccer and again I always put a disclaimer on, I'm not saying kids sh- should sit in front of a screen for like 10 hours a-, a week because obviously it's not the best but in instead of watching you know I know they're all watching like shows on Netflix they're all doing this and that and the other just watch some soccer like watch I, I said to them even like 45 minutes of a game because I don't want to push them too hard by watching a full game but like just even watch like 45 minutes it will make such a difference because you'll see the positions that players take up, um, what decisions they make at certain times, and then you'll see what skills they use as well. You might pick up something like that. So there's there's so many benefits to it, and yeah, it just like it's it's a game changer, really. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. Um, and we kind of skipped over it when you first moved to America, uh, or the second time you came to America. How did you get into uh, the coaching one-on-one like at, at some point you have to get clients you have to get players how did you do that so it was i used an app uh, called coach up initially so it's yeah. basically an app just for mm-hmm. one-on-one coaches so signed up for that and got my first booking like maybe a few weeks after signing up for it and it kind of just my main focus was just like focusing on each player making sure that i did a good job with that player and then just just little by little growing it so you get like another couple through coach up and then my website as well and then one kid one parent to tell another parent and so on and it just kind of went from there but I think the main thing was I just focused on on doing a good job with each player that I was actually with because ultimately you can get like you can get hundreds of clients like the market in the U.S. is it's uh it's excellent for one-on-one coaching a small group uh like there's huge demand for but at the end of the day if you're actually bad at what you do um you'll just keep going through the clients they'll work with you once and then that's the last you'll see them whereas i've been fortunate that a lot of the, the, the players that i am working with have been working with me since the start and continue to work kind of on a weekly basis so in my mind, I must be doing something right. And like that's that's kind of what I continue to do, just kind of focus on each session, making sure that they they get the most from it. Yeah, to bring back one of the areas where you said is very important in coaching was that rapport. And I think we've talked about it too, is this, it's an empathy and an emotional intelligence. I think it was actually uh, Nagelsmann, Bayern Munich coach, who said, I'll get the percentages wrong, but it was like coaching is... 25% tactics and 75% like 
relating to the player. And I think that is something that gets lost that, okay, you may know the game very well, but do you know how to get the best out of your player? So with ranges from six to 18, there must be such different techniques. What are some ways that you are incorporating this into a younger player, older player, um, female player, male player, whatever it may be? That's a great question, actually, because there's a huge difference between like coaching a six-year-old and a 15-year-old, mass, massive difference. And I think that's one of the challenges that I have as a, as a coach as well, because say one hour you'll have like a 15-year-old boy and then the next hour straight away after you'll have like a six-year-old girl. And obviously the way you approach that is completely different in a way. Um, you know, you can't, you know, again, you have to be a bit more, more fun and stuff with the younger kids. Um, you have to make sure they enjoy it. And then with the older kids, you can be that little bit more detail oriented and that little bit more like serious, I guess, um, in a way. So, um, but yeah, the biggest thing for me and what I try to do with the one-on-one coaching, regardless of, of age is just decision-making and, and just the brain element of it. Um, there's a lot of time, I think kids in the U S and of course elsewhere as well, everything is very much A to B to C, whereas, they need to learn to make decisions for themselves. And until they can do that, I think, you know, what happens when they're thrown into a game situation where they have to make decisions, they can't do it because they've never had to do it in training. And I think that's how these younger kids in, you know, like places like Barcelona and stuff, everything is a decision. They always have to make a decision. So for me, for example, if I have a group of two or three and I do one V1s, I'm not just going to have the defender pass to the attacker and then the attacker go at the defender. There's no point in that, you know, so you make more game, game realistic by, you know, me passing into the attacker and then the defender going from a specific point. So like I'll set up a grid where there's like three cones either side, but the defender will start on a different point each time. The attacker will also start from a different point at the end. So that forces the attacker to make a decision whether to go, so I'll have two, two pop-up goals at each end, whether to go straight down the line or else cut across and take on the defender. Also makes the defender make that decision whether to force to this goal or to the other goal based on their starting position. Mm. So it just introduced that little bit of decision-making rather than just like go on, defend him, and just try and win the ball. Like there's no point. I mean, they don't have to make a decision. Um, so just try and do that stuff again with shooting and things with the younger kids. I'll have like a couple of goals, have them start in different positions. And then I set up little grids um, just in front of the goal and they need to decide which path to take if I ask them to go to say the left-hand goal. So where to take like the long way around or can they mm. cut through the middle, stuff like that. And like I'll obviously mix up with the younger kids and like say there's like sharks in the squares and stuff yeah, like that you know and it just mix, mix, mixes it up for them yeah. so um, but again you're making them decide you're not just telling them right go to that cone shoot yeah. when you get to that cone you know it just makes more fun and ultimately it just creates a better player to be honest i really like that notion of decision Brilliant. making yeah i really like that a lot maybe we'll get back into the uh that can of worms about players watching but i mean the, the theme is to constantly learn i think so now in your coaching, besides watching games yourself, what is a way that you are constantly learning and constantly trying to better, you know, yourself on the field? Um, I think it's just everything is self-reflection, to be honest, because some sessions will run better than others. Like some sessions, the error goes by very, very fast. Um, other sessions, it can be a little bit tedious. And you have to ask yourself, like, why that is. 
because it can't always be on the player. That's why I think sometimes you have to take responsibility for yourself. Like, were you as energetic as you could have been? Um, did you plan the session properly? Was it too much? Was it too little? Um, was it not focused enough? Stuff like that. So I think kind of self-reflection is a big thing. Um, you know, you need to think about like how the sessions are going and how the sessions, how you want the sessions to go going forward as well. And then when it comes down to learning, you know, just like what, like just watching um, soccer or like watching training sessions online, like I watch a lot of the, like the Bayern Munich sessions, for example, they post mm. like the full training sessions sometimes. Yeah. So like you watch them, dissect them, see what they're doing, watch different drills from different clubs around the world where that be like transitional rondos, whatever that might be. And just trying to analyze the technique and things like that, it's, it's, it's huge. Because what you want to do, like as a one-on-one coach, is try and like replicate situations just in that controlled environment. Um, because I think one-on-one coaching gets a, a bad reputation sometimes just from team coaches. Uh, and I've had that experience when I came to the States as well, even to the point I've had someone say that one-on-one, to like literally say it to me, that one-on-one coaching is a waste of time. Uh, come work for me. You know, I've literally had someone say that. And to me, like, I just let it off. Like, I mean, they, they literally just, like, completely disrespected what I do, what I, what I base my living on. And <laughs> yeah, no big but deal. I can't, yeah. yeah, but you just leave it be. Because, like, I believe in what I do. I believe it's making a difference to players. And it is. Like, I've had players come back that didn't have the best fall seasons, for example, in high school. And they've they, one guy worked me in particular over, like, weekly, week in, week out, and then came back to his high school team, uh, just started training again. And like the coach uh, pulled him and his dad aside and said, like, you've, you're a completely different player. And like, I'm the only person he's trained with. So obviously he's learned, he's, he has been improving. He's learned something. And like, that's why I do it. And that's why I know it's making a difference because again, one-on-one coaching is a completely different to team coaching and it's a skill and it's a different sort of thing because you need to design the drills in such ways as trying to replicate the game. You can't just go like out with a player and like, oh, this is how you pass a ball, just pass it straight. You know, you can't just do that. You have to put them into different situations, different angles, get them to make different decisions. So there, there is a skill to one-on-one coaching and it's completely different to team coaching. And when it's done right, it's beneficial. And like I said, I'm just always trying to push myself to come up with new ideas, um, different ways to replicate different situations within the game. And like I said, I think it's it's paying off for players at the moment. And like I said, just looking to continue on and, you know, for those players to keep improving, keep reaching new levels and for them to keep, you know, because... What I want, and obviously the main ambition for me is that in four years' time, five years' time, that a player will have achieved their their goal of playing college soccer or, you know, playing professional soccer or whatever it might be, and that I can ha- I'll have contributed some little part to that. And for me, that's the biggest reward that I'll ever get from it. And do you do you have uh, any players at the moment that do want to play professional in the future? There's. There's a couple. There's a couple. I mean, it's a very college soccer orientated environment. Like everyone just wants to play college soccer. I think very few people think outside the box in terms of maybe doing what what you two do and go to Europe, um, for example. Because again, it's a beneficial route to go as well. Rather than going college soccer, um, college is much cheaper in Europe. In Germany, it's it's free, for example. So you can go get your visa that way, um, and then play in the lower leagues and kind of work that way so that is an option but I think for a lot of American players it's they don't like to move too far so for example here in Pittsburgh you know everyone wants to go to 
you know the university of pittsburgh or penn state or whatever it is so it's you know they don't want to move too far but i think sometimes if they did kind of expand their horizons a little bit there's mm-hmm. a lot of opportunities out there and i know I you say, to be honest i can't say that i i mean maybe sean had ideas before me but i really didn't have the the notion of moving abroad until later into my college years if you asked me when i was 16 17 that wasn't not that i would say no but that wasn't a thought i don't know was it the same for you sean i mean the only thing i remember is that nike the chance thing that i did the final thing mm-hmm. and that was like okay this the life of a what i thought at the time of a pro player you know you just train mm-hmm. two three times a day like this is amazing but i don't know if i thought like okay i gotta go overseas you know mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know i know for sure sophomore year so then i was 19 that's when i said i'm for sure leaving the country but between 17 and then 19 i don't know where my head was at to be honest but yeah it's it's not it's not like a route that basically anyone in your in your bubble would talk about in america it's just and sean did did you do uh nike the chance did you do that did you say yeah yeah okay that was what was that experience like it was very first of all it was very funny story and just a classic like just classic my mentality of trying to do too much so the uh so this was for the u.s i didn't make it to the world final but it was just the u.s and uh, Nike would go throughout the country to different spots in the country. And then from each spot, they would put on their little academy training and you basically get scored on all these different things. But then they also took like what the, the Nike people saw. So like you could have a 86, like in my case, I had like just say an 86 score, but someone on my team had a 90, but they still took me because they saw something in the possession game. Like, it's not all based on the scores. What are the scores uh, based on, though? To- so so there's, like, uh, like 20-meter sprints. Um, there's oh, my like, God. It's so they make it into a combine, huh? It is. Then there's, like, um, yeah. there's uh, a lot of ball stuff, though, too. So it's, like, you have to – it's the PK okay. drill. So you have to ping, like, a 30-meter chip. It's got to land in the box. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but then your partner has to play it back to you, and you also have to take the touch and keep it in the box. Mm-hmm. Um like I said, a possession game, which was like 3v3 or 4v4 to goals, though. Um, like a T-drill, so another agility sprint. Um, uh, there's like six small walls, and you're in the circle, and you have to play it off wall one, wall two, wall three. So you have to keep turning, you know, take a good first touch, play it. Mm-hmm. And you have to do that in a certain time. So you have to have clean passes, clean first touches. Um it's funny though. It's such an American. Oh, and then and then the and then the spark test. So like a beep test. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So anyway, they they came to my club, so there was like a few clubs that were there, but they came to the field of my club, and I didn't know that this was even happening, <laughs> and I had at the time I was training with that team, uh, and then another team, uh, with Schmidt actually, Dylan. So like another team that was a year older than me. So I, I, I have a late birthday, so I play with you younger. It's my age, and it's the weird how the U.S. does it. It's not by birth year. But I was going to go for my training session right to the next training session in my hometown with the older players. So they like we were doing this thing, and they have to, you have to go through all the stations. And the whole time I was saying, like, you know, I got to go to my other training. Because, like, I was kind of new on that. I was only started training with the, the other team, like, fairly recently um, to get ready for college. 
And I was like, I got to go. I got to go. And the people, the Nike people were like, no, just stay. Like, we're almost done. And like, I really got to go. I got to (laughs) go. And I wind up staying. Uh, They say at the end, okay, like you're, you're the winner of today's thing. You'll get an email. So then it's like, you're put into a pool of the other players throughout the country that they've picked. And then from those players, they'll pick 50. And then, yeah, they uh, actually, on my visit to college, you stay like an overnight for orientation. I got the email saying like, yeah, you're invited out to Portland, Oregon or Beaverton, Oregon, where the Nike headquarters are for the final. And that was it. And then there it was sick. It was like, you just got, they gave you free boots or they gave you gear. So new clothes, new shoes and new boots um, basically every day. And then, yeah, you just played on like the most perfect pitches you could imagine. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. I, so I, I remember that back in the day and it was like, I think I, everyone just wanted to do it. So all, like you mentioned the gear that you got, um, I think that was pretty incredible, but yeah, no, that's funny. I never knew you did that. So no, that's, yeah. uh, that's a funny one. It's a shame too, because there, I, you can barely find any footage of it. Like there was, there is a, there is a, there's one video of someone who actually made the world team. So they went to Barcelona for the top 100 and then he made the team, uh, Brian something. He plays in the USL now. He wound up going to UCLA after, which I don't know how he did because they said, if you took this deal from Nike the Chance, you couldn't play in college because you were like professional. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he got around that. He was a very good player and he was also 16 at the time or 15. So he was pretty much all the players were young, like from 20 maybe to 15 um but yeah he wound up making the, the the nike team which is very cool but i don't think they do it anymore it's not a it's not a thing anymore unfortunately yeah no, i don't think so i don't think so but yeah it was big deal big deal back in the day certainly i remember yeah everyone was in college was like oh yeah like going in our freshman year oh yeah this, this kid was in nike the chance <laughs> watch out he's got new he's got new boots <laughs> no they actually gave me terrible blisters so i wound up wearing adidas boots yeah but uh, it was it, it was the ones, you know, the it was like the packs were like it was two colors, like the heel was one color and then the front, like the tampons oh, were yeah, black yeah, and yeah. white. Mm-hmm. The CTRs were like light blue and white. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. It was a cool experience. They gave you they gave you the carbon fiber shin guards, which are like 100 bucks. They're just terrible shin guards, though. <laughs> if Bartacek, if you're listening out there, you still have mine. <laughs> Probably. But yeah, anyway. So it was a cool experience. And from that experience is really when I started to think like, okay, I want to play professional. Um, yeah, that's kind of way back in there. I interrupted you for another question, but if you don't, then let's go back into this can of worms because, uh, um, I think one main thing with, uh, cause I I did a little bit of one-on-one, a little bit of small group coaching in the U S too, in off seasons, especially when I was playing in Scandinavia. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of kids, I mean, they'll watch, I, I knew a lot of kids would watch highlights on YouTube, but rarely ever kind of look at the full game scenarios. But I mean, in America too, as I'm sure you've witnessed is these kids are growing up playing six sports and watching American football or baseball or basketball instead of, instead of a 90 minute soccer game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like they have more knowledge about, you know, like NFL or, basketball or baseball or whatever it is than than the actual sport that they play and this could even be down to players that actually play it it's the only sport they play um 
but even at that they they had more knowledge about nfl and things like that because again you only need to turn on like the sports news and like you're never ever going to see soccer on it unless something absolutely exceptional has happened but Mm -hmm. you're never ever going to see anything about in comparison to europe where first thing on the sports news is football um so again it's not as i suppose widely uh publicized um but again that's not an excuse um you know, you, there's always, I think, on, like especially online and stuff, you can find full games uh, for free as well. So even on nice. YouTube, you'll find a lot of like full 90 minute games um, from if it's even like six months ago, uh, you'll find find games there. So, um, but yeah, it's a big problem. Like it's a well, not a problem because like, I mean, everyone's entitled to play whatever they want to play and watch whatever they want to watch. But it's kind of the thing if you, if you want to progress in the game, you certainly do need to be developing that football IQ and and to do that the simplest way to do it is just by watching and trying to analyze as much as possible like a full 90 minute game and so as a as a foreigner living in U.S. now and kind of seeing the tier system that we have which is a bit all over the place as someone with experience in Europe and in you know very major football countries like Ireland and Scotland and in Germany I mean I I guess we could say what advice, but what are the things that you see that um, either drive you crazy or you just you just can't wrap your head around? I think it's just the constant changing of the of the of the tiered system, if you'd even I suppose even call it a tiered system. Like it's just it's just outrageous. Like teams just drop off and like come into leagues, and it's just like it's it's a bit of a mess to be honest. Because I think you find even like with Nisa and stuff, like just the fact it's like it's 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 a complete separate entity to anything else. Like that's such a random thing. And like you have teams just coming into it and dropping off from it. And, you know, I think a lot of the time as well, like these are portrayed as professional leagues. And yes, the commitment might be like full-time training, but in reality, like the salaries don't reflect that. And I think if you want to be, um, you know, advertising as a, a professional league, the quality of life for the players has to has to match with that so i think to be honest it's just a bit of a mess at the moment in terms of nisa usl league one usl championship and i think the way to fix that you need to have some sort of like promotion or relegation because the fact of it is if you have an mls team who finished bottom of the mls the fact that they just like oh next season back in you go into the mls like it's just it doesn't do anything yeah. for it doesn't do anything for football in the country at all you need to have because again relegation battles can be as exciting as the the actual you know like uh, finishing of top spot you know like relegation is a huge thing like for example um even like the from the championship to the premier premier league in england like that championship game i think is one of the most lucrative lucrative yeah. uh, games of football yeah, mm-hmm. yeah i think the, the financial gains that a player that a team makes from progressing from the championship to Premier League is incredible. So, you know, I think until the US kind of has that and has a system whereby teams can progress, but also players can progress as well. You know, work your way up the tiers. Um, so I know in, in the last few weeks you had Ryan Malone on and stuff was done incredible in, in Germany as well and worked his way up the tiers. And some of that was through promotion or relegation also. So. You know, until you have that in the US, like if you can start at a fourth tier team and work your way all the way up to second tier, even MLS, like that's exactly what what you need. But I think it's quite quite a bit off just yet until that comes comes into existence. Yeah, yeah. I think I think MLS will always exist as its own separate entity. I think that's just the American business model that has been imprinted. But 
either way, before we get into our fast feet round, I did have one more thing I wanted to ask about uh, 90 Minutes Fitness and just about social media branding in general. Now, you had touched on consistency, but as you see um, on your account, it's very, you know, it's the theme is very presented. It's, you know, it's concise. Um, you know, it's it's very easy to follow. It's very kind of in your face with the information. What are some advice that you would, what are some advices you would give to those trying to build up a social media that they, you know, that they're truly passionate about? Um, I think just to be, like you mentioned, it could be consistent, uh, be like consistent with the branding of it as well. Like I have like certain colors that I use so that immediately once you see it on your feed, you might know that it is from 90 minutes fitness. That's the first thing. And mm-hmm. then just being consistent with the actual posting of it as well. And I think sometimes I'm not as consistent as I should be. Um, it dwindles sometimes. I think I could do a better job of that. But in general, I won't go more than kind of like two or three days without like posting something valuable. Mm. But I try and stay away from as well, just posting stuff just for the sake of posting. So there's no, mm-hmm. no point in that. So I try and you not know, be as consistent with that as well. But I think the main thing, if someone is trying to build something like that in terms of like social media marketing and stuff, just think of it in the longer term and just be consistent with it like you're not going to get like 50,000 followers overnight it's just not going to happen exactly exactly get like bots or something but (laughs) it's uh you know in general it's you know you have to be consistent with and keep building on it and you know keep responding to comments questions Mm. everything like that you know you just need to be consistent and work on building a bit by bit as long as you're kind of uh, progressing in the right direction uh, that's the main thing and that'll tell you where you're going to be in like two, three, four years time. And what programs do you use that you find have really helped you in this? Uh, I think Canva is the main one. Uh, mm-hmm. Canva is absolutely excellent. Uh, just recently upgraded to the pro version of it as well, which is, uh, you know, let's a get them big... a sponsorship. Yeah. If, if, if anyone from Canva is listening there, you know, just, uh, you know, do us a deal on it, but no, it's been excellent. It's, uh, you know, I used the free version for a while, uh, but then when mm-hmm. I upgrade to the pro version, just so you can like, take out backgrounds and stuff uh, it's been really really good and you can do like uh content scheduling as well so like for me if especially when coaching gets a bit busy sometimes like the weekends and stuff that'll be a quiet time where i won't post but now i can just do it like on a thursday or friday um and just mm-hmm. schedule it for the weekend mm-hmm. this definitely sounds like an advertisement for canva you know canva's changed my life incredibly <laughs> oh god not even if it is i gave up drinking since i joined Can- canva just a better person Uh, if it works it works exactly all right so let's get into our our fast feet round i think that name has officially stuck for this uh, little game show that's it um let's start off favorite team favorite team uh celtic or Borussia dortmund do you have an irish team as well we have uh our buddy jake uh actually played for saint pat's and then also for galway Galway. Oh, yeah, okay. Galway, yeah. Funnily enough, I actually saw him play uh, when he was at Galway. Really? Uh, yeah. Him. So when because he uh, he played at a he played against UCD, so the club I was at. But like I was in the team below that, so like mm-hmm. I used to work at the first team games, okay. um, just for some money during college and stuff. So I remember being aware of him because there's not too many American players in the the Irish league. So I think there was even an American flag somewhere and stuff like that. So. Uh, but yeah, so I got to see him play and stuff. Well, he did. Well, he's well, he's loved in Galway for sure. I was gonna ask, what is like, what is the uh, what is the Keegs notion? What do people think? 
uh, just I think from general, just like a goal scorer, to be honest. Like I think that's the main thing. Just like an out and out striker, just like an absolute goal scorer. I think that's what he's brought in. Obviously, mm-hmm. he went back to to Pats then as well, and you know that's uh, the reason he was brought in is just because he's a like a proven goal scorer. So. Um, and that's the main thing. Like I've never heard, which is quite rare for especially American players coming into the Irish League and stuff. But I've never heard anything negative um, said about him. I'm sure there has at some point. But, I mean, of course. Uh, yeah. But in <laughs> general, in general, for sure. In general, the, the consensus <laughs> is is very very positive. Um, and I think he's proven that. Like in mm-hmm. the time he's in Galway and Pats as well. This isn't part of the fast feet round, but me just being curious, did you? Um play Gaelic football growing up at all because I played actually for close to 10 years so I'm just wondering what the how, what? how, how many people play yeah <laughs> that's I wasn't expecting that to be honest oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that's incredible that's incredible yeah I did play I did play but you probably mm-hmm. actually played for longer than me I only played it for a few years um yeah. just because I kind of made the choice for soccer but how did how did that come about like in, so that- I mean New York there's a very there's a massive Irish population we yeah. um actually had some friends. Um, so my brother played soccer as well. And um, we had some friends that were just Irish. So really, it was just like, that's how we got incorporated into it. And then, I mean, I loved it. I was, I was like all Americans, I played four or five sports growing up. And so I played that until maybe not 10 years, maybe more closer to eight. Because I think at a certain point, it was like, um, this may be a little too rough going into the 16, 17, 18 year old against like some big ass city kids. So I was like, let me let me chill on this because it can be quite a physical sport. Sean's never seen a game. So no. just trying to yeah. paint the picture it's, for him. It's a good sport, though. And ah, the thing sport. is, as well, it's like completely amateur, too. So in Ireland, it's completely yeah. amateur. Like you're not you don't get paid anything for it. But like the so the finals and stuff, they get like 80,000. Wow. to the finals and things but it's like again completely amateur and what um, are the so differences pro- in terms of what between that and soccer oh, like, that's totally different sport. Sport. yeah you could well you can use your hands i suppose the big thing uh, it's a little bit actually. of it's kind of like rugby. rugby it's like a rugby soccer hybrid with yeah a couple of, i mean it's 15 versus 15 sean on a massive mm. field you know i did know that i didn't know it's like a, a really big field i think oh. gaelic park in in new york city i don't know if you've ever been around there sean it's like uh bronx side i'm pretty sure is that fits a, a ton of people too i'm not sure a huge gaelic football stadium i think right by iona if i'm not look at you out here living a different life hey man know, that was a good time like, that was a good time like a, won a couple of like player a, of the years he's like a hidden irish guy I tell you that. right <laughs> yeah it was a lot of there was a lot of irish influence on me growing up there was a ton wow anyway back into the fast feet um favorite player growing up and favorite player now I think growing up it was definitely David Beckham. I think he was he was oh. my favorite growing up. And now um always a Ronaldo fan. Um uh, if it's Ronaldo versus Messi, it's always a Ronaldo fan for me. So yeah, he'd be my favorite currently. <laughs> so he's the best ever in your opinion. I think he is, yeah. yeah. I'm um just just down to like his, his sheer work ethic. I think just as an overall package, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. he just he just ticks every box. Like so um yeah, for me probably Probably the best ever. Big statement, but yeah, I think best. No, ever. I mean, I, I, hey. I, me personally, I would say Messi, but I always like that, not argument, but that point that like Ronaldo has really completely built himself. Where Messi may be more of a God-given talent type footballer, you know, but Ronaldo has worked for everything that he's gotten. I totally hear that. Yeah. Best advice you ever received. 
Ooh, um, I think just to to take a chance on something because you can always go backwards but not forwards. Um, so particularly with the US and stuff, uh, like it's a big decision to go there. Um, but the thing was, like, if you try it and it doesn't work out, you can always come back. Like, uh, home will always be there. Like at the mm-hmm. time, with my parents and stuff, you know, they were like, if it doesn't work out for you, you can always just come back. But if you don't try it, you'll never know. Um, so yeah, you can always kind of go go backwards but you can't always go forward so you might as well take a chance on it brilliant yeah i love that uh favorite manager or coach oh that's a big one uh very cliche answer but pep Guardiola is probably probably the one i think the most from yeah i think i think just in terms like coaching and things just everything you can learn from him is a big one i think just even in terms of like body language and stuff he's just mm-hmm. like he's just such a such a charismatic coach and i think just his ideas and everything that has completely transformed the game honestly so i think yeah he'd, he'd probably probably be the one um so obviously you have you have different coaches with different personalities like you know in germany in particular you know like jürgen klopp and stuff um like so charismatic you know so charismatic and i think every coach has their different uh, philosophy as well you know like pressing or whatever it might be so I think you can learn from a lot but i think in terms of just the overall i think it'd be uh pep would be mm. the, the number one favorite book you're gonna like this one sean says so the alchemist the alchemist is my favorite book <laughs> did, did you get them did you read it yeah this, is sean's, this copy. is sean's copy i read this yeah maybe last week in three days it took me yeah it's a, a short it one very quick but i loved it yeah, i'm waiting on the it. sponsor yeah, you have to be. This is like yeah. the fourth you episode in a row. You and half the world. This is in like seventy different languages. <laughs> it's it's so good though, because actually when I when uh when I heard it in your podcast last time, I actually went back and read it again. Um, because yes. last time I read it was like five years ago, and I loved it. Like I've probably read that easily like fifteen times. It's ridiculous. Oh like God, I've read, yes. I've listened to it on audiobook, everything, the whole lot. Um, but I think even when you go back and read it again, so like I hadn't read it in five years, when you go back and read it again, I think there's so much you can apply to your, your like everything Different that's happened situation. since. Yeah. And like, yeah, exactly. And like those little like quotes just kind of impact you that little bit more mm. just because you can apply it to real world stuff now. So I do. So yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's such a good one. I love it because before Sean brought it up, I, maybe I'd have heard of it, but you know, not like this. Now I see it everywhere. Every, everyone's like alchemist, alchemist, alchemist. I love how impactful it is for so many people. It's it's such a fire book. It is, and like the fact of it, like it's such a such a unique story too. Like mm. so basically, like a shepherd, you know what I mean. So like yeah, you wouldn't yeah, expect yeah. Uh, to get so many like uh, you know nuggets from it that that yeah. you would like mm. so many quotes yeah. that you can live by and stuff. But no, it's uh, it's an incredible one. You actually uh, had a nice intro for our last one. Any quote that you live by? Any quote that I live by, um, I think it would be, so I actually always used to live by this one. So like hard work beats talent, but talent doesn't work hard. That's definitely my mm. my go-to because I think growing up, like I was never the most talented um, at football, anything like that, but just that kind of sheer work ethic and just like the sacrifices and dedication and things like that just paid off. And I think um, even down to, we spoke about players going on trials when they were like 16 and 17, like in my age group, there were so many players went on trials, like so many defenders as well. Um, like out of say the six centre backs that would have been on representative teams, like they all went to trials. Like one went to Man City, signed at Man City at the time. 
One went to Aston Villa, signed there, now plays at LA Galaxy. Um, there's been so like it was such an age group, but again, for the majority of them, that would have been, you know, ahead of me at the time. I think not many of them have had the experiences that I've kind of had with the game mm-hmm. so far. So I think that was just down to hard work. Like it wasn't, you know, being gifted or anything like that by mm-hmm. any means at all. Um, it's just like pure hard work. That's all it was. Love that. Now we, we kind of touched on it earlier, but um, you know, with the future constantly changing and, and you're continuing to learn and grow as a coach, what does the future look like for you? It's it's a it's a great question as well because like, I mean I, I try to not think too far ahead because I think that was I was guilty of that uh, previously too like planning too far ahead you just can't plan for anything um, especially when you're trying to do something out of the ordinary as well you just can't plan like before like I used to be trying to plan oh I'll be in this division at this time and I'm going to go to this country at this time it just like doesn't happen that way at all um so I just tried to go day by day really and you know just kind of live live in the in the present um like quote from the alchemist uh you know if you live true happiness is kind of like when you're living in the present something like that and mm. like that's the only way you're you're ever going to be happy is if you live in the present because if you're you know worrying about things that happened in the past or if you're you know, worrying about what's going to happen in the future, then you're just going to be constantly worrying. But if you can just focus on the present, then you'll be fine. But to give you an answer to that question, probably, uh, you know, like coaching is my my aim for the long term. Um, in the the short term, like one-on-one small group is great because I'm still getting to play as well. And I will continue to play up until my body says no or otherwise just if I'm just not enjoying it or whatever it is. But I certainly still want to play at the highest level that I can, whatever that might be. If that's in the States, if that's NPSL, fair enough. I, I don't mind. But as long as I'm, you know, really, really giving it everything and I feel as if I've given it everything and whatever level I land at, then it doesn't matter. Um, mm. But as long as I feel I've, I've given everything. And again, I'm one of those players that will play until they're 35, 36 just because I love it. And, you know, I think why not? If your body allows it, um, why not? I certainly will continue that point. But after that, uh, coaching is is what I want to do. Um, probably try and move into more team type stuff um, eventually, uh, but certainly for the moment, just a one on one and a small group um, is good because again, it helps me in the team coaching because you're analyzing that technique so closely and I'm racking up so many coaching hours too in that kind of intense, intimate environment that it's going to pay off when you kind of move into more the the, the bigger scale yeah. uh, team coaching, sure. definitely. Mm. Awesome. Well, Aiden, thanks again for coming on. Uh, great conversation, as expected. Um, we'll have to do a part two of this some some sometime in the future. I want a private lesson. Can we yeah. do, can we do a, a a live a live lesson? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Just just as long as you film it and promote it on Footwork. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's there's always a free session for you two boys. Don't worry. <laughs> Love it. Thanks so much. It was a, it was amazing conversation. Nice to meet you. I know you, you and Sean had the podcast before, but you know, lived up to the reputation and then, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to part two. That's my pleasure. And thanks for having me on. Just what you two boys do is great getting people's stories out there. And I think there's a lot of valuable content in it. Um, Just like trying to get people to follow their own, own path and stuff like that. It's not publicized enough. And I think the more people that can do it, I think to be honest, the better world we live in because people will be, Kind of that that bit happier if they're kind of doing what they want to do so um what you're doing is not not going unnoticed and you know keep keep doing what you're doing definitely appreciate that so much appreciate that
Yeah, another great episode. I really enjoyed that talk. I felt like we got into some really good areas, not only in in coaching, but one thing that I really liked is it's kind of one of the reasons, another reason we do this podcast is you never know where following your dream will take you. You know, where he followed his dream, went to America, went to Germany, you know, went to Scotland. Maybe things didn't turn out how, you know, maybe he wanted to. Seems like there was, you know, a few things that held him back in terms of mindset and opportunities. And this this can happen. But, you know, those opportunities can lead you into something else. And he's found a love, a new love for coaching that, it, you know, he didn't see five years ago. This new love that he's very passionate about and he's going to continue doing. He's going to keep playing because he loves it. And that's that love for the sport. But it's taken into him. It's taken him into another route within the sport that now he can drive his passion to something that he truly enjoys. That's still making his own path following his dream. Yeah. You know, it's not just about getting to a professional soccer player all the time. It's about trying to go there, trying to follow a dream seeing where that path takes you because you can't always plan for what's going to happen, but you're going to, you're going to learn something along the way. You're going to learn something about yourself. And I'm for sure he did. And I really enjoy talking to him about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's focusing on the, on the process of it all and the journey and that will take you into wherever it is. And that's why when you and I even talk about, Oh, what are we going to do in the future? Like not really that concerned about it because I know, Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think he had any idea that he'd be doing one-on-one coaching and doing it at a very high level, it seems like, mm-hmm. um, and continues to get better and better. But he always had the hard work and persistence, going, getting out of his comfort zone, adapting to new places. And then the coaching thing came along and he's crushing it now. And, mm-hmm. and the next thing comes along, he'll do the same thing. And I think that's a really, uh, a really good trait to have as a person. And I think you get it. Uh, you get these traits or you can learn these traits quickly by putting yourself in really uncomfortable, difficult situations. Yeah. And I mean, we've said it a thousand times before, but if you, if you do play the game of footy, go to a foreign country, try and make it there. And you learn so much about yourself outside of the game, not just the game, but more importantly, outside of it. Yeah. Just to t- take it even, you know, not even necessarily playing. One of the biggest regrets I have from college is not studying abroad for a semester because I was comfortable in college. You know, I had a girlfriend, I had, friends we had parties it was fucking great it was a great time to be in oneonta you know we had a great circle but i just think of how much i could have learned and how much i would have enjoyed spending a half a semester probably in spain that's probably where i would have been to be honest mm-hmm. with you maybe my spanish would be legit maybe that would have taken me somewhere else i mean i it's tough to regret these things because in the way maybe that shaped me to go try it in a different way after after college you know but yeah, uh, it's it's that that notion that sometimes travel is the best education. And for me, mm-hmm. I, I'm a firm believer in it. So I encourage people, especially when this COVID shit disappears, hopefully, or just becomes a little bit more part of our everyday life. You know, get out there, travel, meet people, connect. And by doing these, by going, doing things that maybe aren't so comfortable, you'll you'll find a path that inherently is yours. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and otherwise, uh, let's keep plugging and passing the pod. Appreciate all the support. Um, keep sending us messages, uh, mm-hmm. questions. If you have a guest or a friend that you think would be uh, a good a good conversation for us to have, mm-hmm. 
please forward it. Um, if you have your own business that. that you want to plug, yeah, you know, like we're all about helping people, mutually helping people. I mean, you don't even have to help us, but if you have something that you're passionate about, your own business, you want to plug it on here, you think it could reach a new audience, let us know. No cost on yeah. that. Like we're for now. <laughs> no cost on that for now. <laughs> but yeah, it just you know, let's let's help let's help build yeah. our endeavors and yeah, keep plugging, keep passing. Footwork.club is up. There's going to be some new articles coming this week uh, when this releases. So look out for that. Look out for new content. The footwork tactic videos are buzzing off. Love those. Um, tell us what you want to see, you know, how you want to get involved. Join the club of footwork.club. Uh, those aspiring pro- pros, join a consultation with us, 10, 15 mm-hmm. minutes on a Google Hangout. Um, ask us questions. We may not have all the answers, but we may know people who do. And yeah, just to engage, you know, this is, we're building footwork. We're building the community and yeah, keep plugging and passing. I'll say it three times. Love that. Well said, Dale. That was like, <laughs> that was like a real advertisement. You got a 30 second. <laughs> it's, like, it's like at the radio, you know, and they go really yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you fit all that in there? Yeah. Yes. I blacked out a little bit, but yeah, let's, let's take them home. No, it was think. smooth. It was smooth. <laughs> Until next time. Keep moving forward. Keep learning. Make your own path. Footwork is sponsored by ourselves and great companies such as Kong Fitness. But we love to partner with new brands to make their own paths, so get in touch if you must. Footwork.club, the official footwork website is now live, so make sure you go join the club and check out all the new content and all the new features. Find us on YouTube at Footwork Podcast. You better like and subscribe while you're there. If not, I don't know what to tell you. Find us on Instagram at Footwork underscore podcast. Great time there. Twitter at Footwork Podcast. TikTok at Footwork Podcast, where we like to post dance videos those are great but more importantly amazing content for any dream chasers out there plug plug pass tell your friends your enemies your mother your brother your sister your pastor it doesn't matter who tell the mailman your dog anybody that can listen like subscribe review because all of that helps while you're there we'll take whatever we can get to join the club join the club he messed me up i mean he can just he can just mash it together so it's fine (laughs) 